Hey, wow. You know what? The imagination now. Everybody has changed. Now they're getting so uh, creative in terms of their thinking and what they can do. Man, it's, it's, this is the best I've seen. Yeah, when you jump that damn high, you got a lot of time. To up the floor. Reza dropped down. Kobe! Oh! Up high! Down hard! Kobe Bryant! Very deep, yeah. Blocked by LeBron! That basketball will never be the same! So that now has entered the fray. Wow! Good day, good night, and welcome to the first edition of Hardwood Radio. Ben, how you doing tonight? Good, and you? I'm doing great. We're talking about basketball here. The first of a lot of new shows this week on the Sports Podcasting Network. Ben, let's start here. Uh, ben is the editor of BallBallBallBall.com and our co-host for the uh, Hardwood Radio on the Sports Podcasting Network. Ben, let's talk about the biggest trending topic in the nba right now the golden state warriors of course how couldn't they be the greatest trending topic they're amazing like i have been watching uh basketball for maybe 25 years and i've rarely rarely seen a team uh, a team so cohesive and so uh a thing that clicks together Uh, let's just start with uh, the, the man, the core, uh, the identity of that team, Stephen Curry, who's been uh, growing leaps and bounds over the last two years, especially last year with Golden State. And this year, it seems like he's even better than his MVP year of last year. Oh, absolutely. Um, basically, he was the MVP last year, and this year he's the front runner for the most improved player. <laughs> as crazy as... As crazy as it sounds, it's true. Like, I don't know any player that improved as much as him over the last season, which tells you a lot about his character. The guy won uh, MVP. The guy won the NBA championship. And what did he do all summer? The guy freaking trained. He's an animal. No, he did a lot of commercials too, but he trained, trained a lot during the summer. 15-0. As we're talking, the Golden State Warriors are going to play tonight against the Lakers to get that 16-0 and to beat the record, the NBA record, for the best opening, uh, well, the best winning streak the best, to start yes. a season. Yes. The best winning streak is 33 victories, but the best winning streak to start the season is 15, which they, which they equaled uh, last Sunday. Okay, uh, let's go with that question. Now, as we're talking, as we're as people are listening to this, they probably know the result of that game. Uh, do you think Kobe has a shot, or do you think uh, the Warriors are going to get that 16 and out? It's about 99% to one. Like Kobe has been taking about half of the shots of his team uh, this year, and he's been making less than 30% of them. Oof. And the Warriors are firing on all cylinders. I was uh, I was reading an article on 538.com, which is about the nerdiest basketball site of all time uh, today. And they were saying that uh, they were showing a shot chart. And I don't think, I'm pretty sure they're not shooting from below 45% on anywhere of the floor. This is crazy. I've never seen this. Uh, let's talk about the Warriors. What's making them so good? I know what I'm uh, hearing about the Warriors. They're talking about ball movement, how they're unselfish with the ball. doesn't matter who it is. Igala or Curie, if they see somebody else that's open for the greatest shot, they'll give the ball to him. What's so impressive with the Warriors, what they're about to do, maybe break the record tonight? Uh, basically, they're just a very cohesive team. Uh, they're 
it, it makes sense. Curry is the ball handler. He's also a very good spot-up shooter. He's very unselfish. So he can he doesn't mind not getting the assists if it means that he's going to uh, separate himself from his defender to get a good shot. Um, they have a great backup ball handler in Clay Thompson who uh, moves without the ball uh, very gracefully, even better than Curry. And they got a um, three, a very good three and D um, wing player with Tyrese Barnes. They got uh, Draymond Green, which is pretty much everybody's favorite NBA player since last year. He's the most intense dude and the most resourceful, uh, small front court player I've ever seen in my life. And it, it just clicks. They're just every player complements each other. Every player's weaknesses plays in uh, in their teammates' strengths. There's just not a there's just not a rotation in that team that doesn't work. And and these guys love playing basketball together. They seem they're having so much fun when you look at them on the court. They seem like they're enjoying every second of it. Seems like a bunch of friends playing on the court outside somewhere, just playing for fun and for court supremacy. Uh, that's what they look like. They're not the biggest guys on the block. They're not the most intimidated. There's no Wallace in that team. There's no Kevin Garnett. There's no seven-foot-tall guy who's going to block everything in the paint. No, it's literally a group of guys shooting from the outside, draining field goals, draining points when they need and basically moving the ball when they need to. And they're doing all this without their head coach right now, which is even more impressive when you think about it. Oh, yeah. Basically, oh, yeah. Like this team basically, I think, relies on two factors to uh, foster such a great culture right now. On Steph Curry, who buries teams in the first quarter. When Steph Curry comes in and has like 20, 25 points in the first quarter against you, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? Like, cry, pray, that's what you need to do. <laughs> pray he's not going to score 70. He's doing crazy stuff right now. He is, he, you know, you know, he used to be one of the worst finishers in the paint in the NBA, and now he's one of the best. And that guy doesn't dunk. That guy, I've never seen him dunk in a game. He just developed these crazy floaters for both hands. Like he's diving, he's getting tripped, he's looking away from the basket, and he makes them. It's, it, it's uh, like I'm going to say something really, that sounds really odd. It's like Michael Jordan, not that he's no. a comparable athlete, but he's something of his own. Here, it took a whole of not even one half of a show before the first Michael Jordan reference. And you got to get oh, a lot of, of it because, uh, first of all, uh, me and Michael Jordan represent probably the highlight of the basketball following in my years. Uh, in the mid-90s, Jordan, Pippen, uh, that was the time where I f not necessarily fell in love, but that's when I discovered basketball, rediscovering it a couple weeks ago now uh, with you. Uh, but <laughs> what I'm thinking about now is looking at this team of the Warriors, and they're actually a team. It's nobody's bigger than the team. Curry has a insatiability of trying to be the best practicing all the time beating his dad at a horse game like, <laughs> like there's no tomorrow i saw that there, there's something special with that team and look that's a team that's probably the hungriest in the league and they're the nba champions that, that says a lot about that squad there's draymond green also who a lot of people are overlooking draymond green basically he was a senior and he got drafted in the second round by um Golden State, but Draymond Green is an intense guy, a very high-character player, and he loves basketball pr probably more than anybody on the team. He is one of the most knowledgeable basketball player in the NBA, 
and he's a leader. He's a great defensive player. He was a runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year last year. And he keeps the team together and he keeps challenging his players to give more and more and more. And the guy is, what, 25 years old? Yeah, I mean, no. I mean, he's he is one of the driving forces behind that team. Also, almost his his starting gig almost happened by accident because uh, David Lee was injured last year. But it was the best thing that could happen to the Warriors. Yeah, no, watching that team play is contagious. They're fun. We we talked about it, but the fun that they seem they're having on the pitch, on the pitch, on the court. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a soccer guy, so sometimes eventually those type of words are going to come out. But uh, lapses, uh, fruit and lapses. But uh, yeah, the, the type of fun they seem to be having on the court is it's contagious. The whole crowd, the whole city of Oakland, the whole Bay Area is behind that team. It's a team that's popular for the right reason. You don't hear anything about controversial about uh, the Golden State Warriors. And it's fun to see a team that's been in what in the bottom of the table for the last two decades, finally having a resurgence over the last couple of years. Now the NBA champions, and it's not enough. They're not, they're not happy with it. They want to do the double, if not the three-peat. Yes, um, things are going to change next year, after this year, because uh, Steph Curry is due for a huge payout. Basically, he's only paid he's, 12 millions a year, by the way. Uh, 11 or 12 millions, I don't remember, but he's, it's, he's it's the not best. not a lot compared to LeBron. It's the best value contract in the league right now by far. Like He is the MVP and he's paid like a role player. No. So uh, that's going to change. I think they're going to move Andrew Bogut uh, to make space for uh, Curry and maybe Harrison Barnes. So the team will have to evolve together. So, but if they want to get another title, they'll have to do it this year. And forces to admit they understand that situation and they're playing accordingly. They already have such a huge lead over everybody else in the league. It's crazy. All right, we talked about the Warriors and how they're 15 and 0. Let's go in the op the opposite, total opposite of the spectrum. Let's talk about Philly and how they're 0 and 15. These guys fascinate me. Uh, basically, there's a story um, uh, which let, let me tell you that story. Go ahead. Um, there had been a what I call a treadmill team since uh, Allen Iverson left. What's, what I mean by treadmill team, team is that they're they're struggling, they're struggling, but they're going nowhere. In 2013, they have uh, they hired Sam Hinkie, which is one of the biggest nerds in the NBA. He was the assistant GM in uh, Houston, assistant GM to Daryl Morey, which is who is the king nerd in the NBA. And he's there, they said, do whatever you want, take the time you want, but we need a championship. So basically he tore the team down. He traded every valuable player for draft picks. And three years later, it's been three, um, three top five selections and we have yet to see any signs that it's going to get better. And then you see teams in the meanwhile that are drafting, what, uh, late in the first round, and those draft picks are actually having impact in the team in their first year this year. So yeah, Draymond Green was a second-round pick. There you go. But there's a lot of, uh, of suspicious activities in Philly. You're looking at the stands, stands are empty. You're looking at the court, there's no energy. You're looking at the, the bench, nobody really cares. It, it seems like it's one of the 
only franchise in the league that's have been really revitalized over the last couple of years with the new teams coming in. The, the Hornets are back. The Pelicans now. It's it's a very vibrant league, the NBA right now, except Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Philadelphia is like the antithesis of what is going on in the NBA. They're the bottom dwellers. Nothing's going on in the stands. It almost seems like this team is going to move, and it's actually quite a shame because this team has a lot of history. What I don't get, basically, is why... Uh, is that they're not cohesive. The talents that they have on the floor is not cohesive. They have a lot of big men. They have a lot of front court players who don't really play the same game. Like, if you want to play them together, one of them is going to suck because one of them is going to do have to do things they're going to be bad at. Like, they're playing a lot. They're running a lot of plays for Jalil Okafor, which is a, a um, post player, which means the action has to be slow. There has to be a lot of one-on-one, a lot of isolations, and and in the meantime, the other player who's supposed to produce on that team, which is the power forward, but Nerlens Noel, he's a runner. He's a guy who needs to run the floor. If if you stop, if you stop the um, the offense. He's not going to have the skill level necessary to be productive. So there's this weird lack of cohesion in that team right now that seems like they're leading to nowhere. I have, might have a, a theory about that. Uh, maybe that's a conspiracy theorist inside of me that's talking, but there's a big college player that might be up for draft pick next year. Talk about Russell from LSU. Probably the most high basketball player. In you mean college. Simmons? Simmons, sorry. Yes, Simmons with LSU. Uh, one of the hype, the biggest hype in college basketball over the last couple of years. A player that's dominating. It's going to be in the draft next year. Who knows? Maybe Philly are tanking for Russell, uh, for Simmons. They've been tanking for three years right now. And each <laughs> year, they haven't been able to get their guy. In 2014, they were trying to get Andrew Wiggins. They ended up with Joel Embiid, who hasn't played an NBA game yet. Last year, they wanted D'Angelo Russell. They ended up with Jalil Okafor, which which is great, but plays at a position they don't need. Ben Simmons makes a lot of sense to me. He makes a lot of sense on any team in the NBA because he's such a complete and dominant player. And uh, by the way, if you don't know Simmons, just type Simmons LSU on YouTube. You'll see the highlights that he has made just this year so far. It's mind-boggling. The guy's a notch above everybody else in that league. He had 21 points and 20 rebounds, I think, last game. In a college game. It lasted it half se- an hour. And in his second college game, he was all over the court. It was a thing of beauty. A guy a guy so big shouldn't be able to move so quick. And uh, That's the thing. Have... Seven foot three, but he actually has the mobility of a normal person. It's crazy. No, that's uh, Porzingis. Oh, Porzingis, yeah. Well, he, he's not as tall, but he has the same mobility. He's six ten. He's hey. a lot more. He's a lot stronger than Porzingis. He's a lot. He's he's basically a mix between Magic Johnson and LeBron. Is the best way I could describe him. No pressure. No I was, pressure. I was not expecting him to be this good right away in college game, but it looks like guys are going to fight their way to the bottom in order to get him. He, he looks like he's going to be probably a one-and-done after this year. Oh, most likely. Yeah. Basically, when the guys don't have room to improve their uh, draft rank, they go in the draft. And if you have more to lose than to win in that second year of college, too, what's the point? Basically, yes. If you're already going to be a pinpoint as a top draft pick, like the first-round draft pick after one year of college, what's the point of risking a knee injury, of ankle injury that would put you 
bad, like second or even worse in the draft pick. And by the way, if you're like already slotted as number one draft pick after a year, well, you only second year can only lose something. You cannot gain anything. So uh, yeah, Basically, that's second year. And you have to upkeep your number one ranking all year. Like it's going to be tough. There's a lot of good players. There's not. It's not a very deep draft, but the te top ten players in the draft are very solid. There's Brandon Ingram, which I like a lot, which reminds me of Kevin Durant. Mm -hmm. There's the Haitian Mountains Calabisier, who's going to be a great, a great center player. There's uh, like he's going to have he's going to have to fight to keep his title, Ben Simmons. All right, so let's just finish quickly on Philly. What do they need to do to put the situation back on track if there's anything they need to do? They need a point guard that can chew gum and walk at the same time, like my colleague Matt Moore said. And they need they need wing players. They need like like their starting five should be their reserves right now, except maybe for Okafor and Nerlens Noel. Maybe if I was them, I would trade Nerlens Noel and try to get a wing player, maybe, just to uh, shore up that perimeter defense. But otherwise, they're just going to have to tough it out and overpay veterans in the free agent market in order to get better. A team that has gotten better over the last couple of years, but this year, Ben, they're struggling, even though they have Doc Rivers as a coach. With great players like Blake Griffin, the Clippers are not gelling like they're we're expecting to be. Can you explain to us what's the situation in, uh, on this side of LA? First of all, I really hate the Clippers. I love <laughs> to hate the Clippers. Um, I really love to hate Doc Rivers too. I think uh, Boston is better off without him, but it's very, something very emotional. I love the Golden State Warriors, so I don't like the Clippers. <laughs> it's one or the other. Um, Doc, The coach and Doug, the GM, are two different species. And I would say that Doug, the GM, is not making moves to help the locker room. He has put together a very talented collection of volatile characters. Guys like Slyon Stevenson and Josh Schmidt. And, of course, they make your bench look a lot deeper. They give a break to your starters, which they overused in the playoff last year. Really, really bad. But... These guys, they're not really interested in their role, and it's an issue right now for the Clippers. And if you're looking at Blake Griffin particularly, is he able to carry that team, or he needs more support? That's the thousand-dollar Million dollars question. question. That's a million-dollar question. I really like Blake as a player. I think he's a lot more versatile than uh, what give people are giving credit for. He's a great post player. He has a lot of very uh, smooth moves. He has a smooth touch around around the rim. He's not the greatest defender, but he never really learned to play defense. Um, it's not that he needs more help, but maybe the cast around him is not what it should be. Uh, they they went to great pains to re uh, to resign DeAndre Jordan last summer. I don't know if you've seen that uh, mm -hmm. saga. Yep. And I don't think they fit together. I, I think <laughs> DeAndre Jordan is meant to be an alpha dog. He's meant to be a pick and roll player, exactly like Blake. And they're just cannibalizing each other's touches. Uh, so. They're not, I don't know. they're not complementary to each other. What do you mean? Basically? They're not cohesive, man. You know, I'm a big cohesion guy. It doesn't fit. 
the more I look at basketball too, the more I get to rediscover this game. When you mm -hmm. have those five bodies on the floor, they cannot be doing the same thing and they cannot be trying to use the same space. When you have Blake Griffin as a player, that type of player who does like to get inside when he has an opportunity and like to uh, get that ball, when there's somebody else who's battling for that ball, there's only so much touches you'll get. And when you don't get so much touches, you don't necessarily influence the game as he would if you would be alone in that role. So I totally understand what you're saying. Basically, yeah, basically, uh, Blake and uh, DeAndre are two uh, players we call rollers. They roll to the rim on pick and rolls. Um, once, when one is rolling, the other cannot do anything. Like, if Blake is rolling on an offensive play, he's going to get double teamed. And if, the, if Chris Paul, the point guard, passes to DeAndre Jordan, DeAndre is not going to shoot the ball for, from 15 feet. He cannot do his free throws. He cannot make his free throws. I think he shoots for 34% free throws. So they, they lose. They, uh, every team is basically double teaming Blake Griffin and giving him a hard time. People love to hate Blake Griffin. And uh, basically, yeah, that's it. He's, uh, they're not uh, complementary. And it costs, I think it costs the the Clippers few game. So basically what the Clippers do have is a tactical problem, is a, a squad problem and the amount of players, well, the, the role of the players they have on the court at the same time are not necessarily complementary. So when you have Blake Griffin not involved in the play, like you were saying, Jordan's involved, basically you have four players on the court because Griffin doesn't know what to do. Yeah, but Blake is a more versatile guy. I don't think he can do like 15, 18 footer jump shot, but still if you if you double team DeAndre Jordan in the post and like you send the ball to the to Blake Griffin you're putting a lot of pressure on Blake and of course there's there's guys like Paul Pierce now that can help on the perimeter there's guys like uh, JJ Redick these guys and uh, these guys can benefit from Blake's passing abilities Blake is a good passer but your 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 offense is very Uh, one-dimensional if you're wasting a lot of space in the paint like they do uh, with uh, DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin basically playing a very similar game. I'll put you on the spot, Ben. It's early in the season, but will the Clippers find a way to go back on track and have a type of run that they were, people aren't thinking they were going to have? Are they going to be contenders until the, now, until the end of the season? Um, it might be an emotional answer, but I think no. <laughs> I think uh, unless they make a move, unless Doc Rivers, the GM, makes a move and shores up that big gaping hole on the wing, it's not going to happen. I think DeAndre Jordan was a big mistake. They could have got away with a, uh, with a better, more fitting center if they just had hit the free agent market after DeAndre signed with Dallas. I think they're going to make the second round, maybe the third round, the uh, association final, but they're going to lose either to the Warriors or the Spurs. All right. We cannot do our first show without talking about LeBron. It's the of Cavaliers. Course. It's LeBron, the biggest name in the sport, not all sports in the entire world. LeBron James, Cavaliers, it's not going the way they wanted. They're not necessarily dominating as much as they would have hoped for. And uh, basically, LeBron's having trouble with sleeves jerseys as well. So uh, what can you tell <laughs> us about LeBron and Cavaliers so far? I don't know what to make of them. And I think LeBron is keeping, uh, is keeping a lot of what he has in mind for this season 
uh, to himself right now. He is visibly sparing himself. I think there is a bit of a uh, physical issue with him. There were rumors that he got uh, cortisone injections in his back. But if you watch a, a Cavaliers games, especially when it's not an important game, I saw them playing Philly early this season. He was not playing defense. He was just he was just lounging on defense and watching players whoosh by him. There's uh, I think he he played he started playing defense on the f- last play of the third quarter. That pass from T.J. McConnell was so limp and without energy, he just couldn't help but to steal it and go down the lane for a dunk. It was too easy not to steal it. So like okay, I'll fine, I'll get it. Uh, you, you could see it on his face. He had like. He had contempt for that for that play. He was like, "Oh no, I can't, I can't help myself." Fine, I'll run a little bit. <laughs> I am, I am not convinced that the uh, Warriors, the Warriors, the Cavaliers, have what it takes for a championship run. But uh, something you will learn about me is that I'm a very big Cavaliers hater too. <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't mind if they won the championship this year, uh, emotionally speaking, because the. Uh, they had such a huge heartbreak last season. They came, they arrived to the final. There were only six healthy guys in the lineup. LeBron played like Godzilla. He played like the LeBron. We all thought he could play one day. And they lost because they just couldn't withstand that punishing pace that the Warriors were putting on them. And I think I you're right. I think you're right, Ben. I think he's trying to save himself right now so it doesn't happen again in the NBA Finals versus uh, the Warriors. But it hasn't started well. Ayman Schumpert is injured until, I think, January. Uh, J.R. Smith is looking for his jump shot. The thing with J.R. Smith usually is that he's very good for one year and then he sucks until he's he's traded. Okay. So he had Um, his good year last year? Exactly. He had a great year last year. Now he's going to suck until the Cavaliers find another sucker to take him. Uh, There's uh, Kyrie Irving, who's got, I think, his third major injury on a leg he broke his kneecap in the finals last year i have a bad feeling i have a feeling it's going to keep being tragic in cleveland uh, this year one thing at least and it's not it's not boring whenever lebron and the cavaliers are involved it's there's full of drama and entertainment so at least it's going to be interesting to follow the cavaliers this year of course i think it was bill simmons who said they were the walter white of the nba Everything should go easy to them, but at the last second, they pull it at the last possible second. Let's finish this first show uh, by talking about one of your darlings of this season, Ben. Uh, Porzingis, the darling of the league, uh, rookie of the year so far after, what, 15 games? Porzingis has been better to the Knicks than they could ever anticipate. Kristaps Porzingis. I love saying his name. I say his name at least like I think 10 times a day just because I love how it rolls off the tongue. First thing you say when you wake up is not hello, honey. It's Porzingis. I love getting my girlfriend in the eyes and like, you know, honey, what? Kristaps Porzingis is playing tonight. (laughs) He, he, I'm a Knicks fan. I've been a Knicks fan for as long as I can remember. For as long as I have had the free will necessary to have a favorite basketball team. Has something to do with Anthony Mason. Once again, it's very emotional. At least it's not Patrick Ewing. No, no, I was a big Anthony Mason. I used to play power forward back when I was a teenager. And he was the guy I molded my game after. Very physical guy who could pass, who could play in the high post. But 
we haven't had a glimmer of hope in New York until we drafted that funny looking baby faced seven foot three monster. And the kid is playing well. The kid has uh, no bullshit attitude. He is playing. Everybody was wondering if he could bang it out in the paint with the bigger guys, but he just jumps over them. Yeah. I think he had like. Or around them. His arms are so long that he can do layups beside them. He had tip dunks over LaMarcus Aldridge, Kevin Love, which are two of the best power forwards in the yeah. league, and the entire Toronto Raptors team. At the same time. And Robin Lopez, his teammate. All of them were under him when he just tipped on. Oh, he looks like Godzilla on the court. And the beautiful thing is that he can hit his shots from the outside. He's a bit trigger happy right now. His shot selection is not very strong. He's but young. He's an enthusiasm. He's on the court. He's playing for the Knicks. Exactly. It's a rookie thing. The kid loves basketball. He comes from a good basketball family. So I'm not really worried about uh, the mental side. A lot of these Euros, like there's this been like for the last 15 years, this this illusory chase from the NBA scouts for the next Dirk Nowitzki, which has led to some of the biggest, most disgusting flops in the NBA uh, <laughs> in the NBA draft, like guys like Yuri Welsh or Nikolos Chikishvili, guys who could barely play basketball. But this kid, this kid, he's got game. He's got game. He's unique. He's athletic, he's versatile. I'm really, really uh, giddy for the, fu for the future for the first time as a Dix fan since 2000, maybe. And one thing that really surprised me is when you see big guys like him, seven foot three, seven foot five, sometimes they come into the league and yes, they're playing basketball, they're pro basketball players, but basketball, not necessarily their first love. They're doing it because they have the attributes and the skills to do it because they're seven foot freaking five. You know, yes. uh, there was a lot of a big, and we talked last week off air about this and it's something big. When you look at Porzingis, he loves the game. He would be five foot nine. He would probably still be playing basketball. So his size is just there as a bonus. It's not the, it's not everything. Oh, yeah. And he, like I said, he comes from a basketball family. Both of his parents were pro players. His uh, brother was a pro player. Now he's a coach. And now he is his personal coach, too. And he grew up in a culture. He learned it's a part of him. He's never going to get rid of basketball in his life. And now he is enjoying it. He's the golden son of his family. He's the golden son of New York City now. Yeah. So I think the way he played in the first month will define his relationship to New York, at least until the stakes get higher, until they, we have a competitive team, a team competitive enough to make a championship push. Until then, people are going to love him no matter what. No, obviously. And he seems like he's a, a young kid. You were talking about baby face. And there's pictures of him when he was in college with the cornrows and the attitude. He looks like of eight years old. Yeah, he looks like an eight-year-old seven-foot-tall. Yeah. It looks like uh, a lot of people call him Porzing God. And <laughs> once there's a, a Facebook commenter who's like, why do they call him Porzing God? I'm like, because he looks like a pagan idol. He looks like the savior from the books. He, he, is, he is so unexpected that it was like a, a God intervention on, on Earth for the Knicks. Here, let's finish with this, Ben, on our first show of our Hardwood Radio. Will Przingis continue on this run? Will it continue? Will it, will it keep it up? Um, there's this thing like that we call the rookie walls, that the rookie just 
starts uh, stop, starts struggling, starts doubting themselves, starts overthinking things. But the way I see it, he's already doing all sorts of mistakes, but he is so good and so athletic that he is covering for them. He has, I think, a total of, I think, 36% shooting. Uh, it's a terrible shooting percentage. It's even worse from three points. But he keeps trying, he keeps working out, and he doesn't overthink it. So, yes, I think he will. He and um, Carl Anthony Towns from Minnesota are going to be far ahead in the discussion for Rookie of the Year at the end of the year. And so far, Porzingis has a little foot in front. Of he, he has the, um, the picturesque edge. Like, he's a more of a folk hero than Carl Towns. And he has the biggest spotlight on him, too. Absolutely. All right, we'll wrap it up for the first edition of Hardwood Radio. Hopefully you like it. For Ben Nadiavre, I'm Kevin Laramé. And until next time, Drain those trees. <laughs>